Thank you, Michelle. You know, this morning I, I woke up and, uh, and I was just praying, and then it was confirmed. I was sitting in the first service, and it was like God said, there's somebody that I want to heal today. And I don't normally get that kind of an impression that powerfully. And I was talking to Pastor Nate earlier, and he said, you know, it's funny. I was in my study time this morning before service, and I, and I felt the same thing. And this might come as a shock, what I'm getting ready to say, but Jesus never told us to pray for the sick. He told us to heal the sick. Good friends of ours, part of Influence Church, John Meredith, you've heard a bit of his story over the, the course of the last year and a half or so. But John was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. And the doctors did not give him a lot of hope. Young man, really in so many ways, two young children. But he prayed before, after the first test, he prayed, he said, God, before I go into treatment, I ask that half of the cancer cells go away and the size of the other half shrink to half their size. Then I'll know, it was a sign, he asked for a sign. Then I'll know that God, that I'm on the right path, that you're going to heal me. Went into the doctors, and the doctors came back, and they said, John, we have some very good news. You still have a very serious condition, but we want you to know that roughly half of the cancer cells are gone, and the ones that are remaining are half the size they were. But you're going to go into chemotherapy. So he went into chemotherapy, and he began to go through that treatment, and he kept getting this confirmation that he was cured. And he kept telling the doctors, you know, I'm cured. And the doctors kept giving him kind of the, yeah, we hear this all the time, from you Jesus freaks. <laughs> right? But let's go ahead and keep this going. And so he kept having this impression, and he kept telling the doctor. And finally, just about a week ago, he went and he pressed the doctor. He said, I, I really believe that I, I want to get the test. I want to confirm that I'm healed. The doctor reluctantly somewhat went ahead and went through with the tests. And the doctor came back with this word. He said, it looks like we've been treating a cured man for the last nine months. You know, and I, and I just look at miracles like that, and I, I'm just amazed. I was up here this week, and we have, we have the most interesting church because we get five times the walk-ins and we get phone calls. People accidentally come into the front door thinking they're in the post office. Some think it's a spa. <laughs> if you kind of put yourself in that mindset when you walk in the front door, you go, yeah, it could be a spa. You know, if you just put a little whale music going in the background and a little incense burning in there, you know, you go, yeah, it's a spa. And we get, you know, some of those little treatment, you know, chairs, you know, where you lean down in the mall and they just kind of rub your back, right? And I think it'd be a great evangelistic tool. We get a guy down in that position and we bring an evangelist in to start talking to him about Jesus while they're in that, in, in that, in that, that position, right? But uh, I'm sitting there and, and a man came in and you could tell he was greatly moved of the Spirit. And he said, I just got to tell you that I was here about three or four weeks ago and I asked for prayer for my son and two people, two, Lynn and Scout actually were the ones that prayed for him. And they, they prayed for me and prayed for my son. And I want you to know a major miracle in the life of my son, a nine-year-old boy. 
And I just want to thank you for that. And then with tears in his eyes, he said, and I need you now to pray for me. I need a miracle. And we shared scripture and we prayed. And as I sat there a little bit later, here came in two young gals coming, looking for the coffee shop that you know we've closed down temporarily until we reopen under the, the new coffee uh, brand that we have, Co uh, Bodhi uh, Coffee Leaf. And uh, they came in because they found it on Yelp. And the report on Yelp was really good for our coffee shop, so they came in to get coffee. So we showed them the coffee shop, what it will, where it will be, and then we uh, brought them back in here. And I could tell the one girl was just, there was something heavy in her heart. You know how when your spirit just tells you something going on there? I just knew something was going on. And she looked up at the prayer wall and she said, what is that? And I, I said, a prayer wall. And those are prayer slips in there. And she immediately looked over, saw the, the, the stack of slips we have in there where people can enter a prayer, and she went over and she said, can I enter more than one? And I said, absolutely. And I just back, st stepped back and I just watched with amazement how the prayers that you offer work miracles in the lives of people that you don't even know about, that you make a difference when you pray, you don't even know about it. When you walk by that wall, I hope you just walk by and go, God, I don't even know what all's in that wall. But I just want to pray. Our prayer team meets and, and they pray every week here and then they take all those prayer requests out and they record them and they put those slips back in the wall and they pray for them. And many of you have seen miracles from the wall. And I think it's just beginning. I believe the, the movement of prayer that God has birthed in this place is just beginning. Beginning to see what God is going to do in our midst. And I want to talk to you today about generosity that makes a difference. And I want you to think in terms of generosity beyond what we typically would think in terms of our finances. I want you to think in terms of generosity of your time, generosity of your love, generosity of your attitude, how you can make a difference and maybe in ways that you never imagined. I want to tell you the story about a, a young boy named William. At 12 years old, he found himself orphaned, being passed from family to family, not really knowing where to go and what to do next. He found a love for God and found a love for church, and yet he had no transportation. And so every time church was open, he was there, and he would walk eight miles one way to get to church. By the time he was 17, he was fully committed to his church, fully committed to Christ, was loving God with all of his heart, and yet he lived in a time and in, a, in an environment where there was great persecution and great difficulty because of his faith. He was imprisoned a short time because of his stand for Jesus Christ. He was forced, along with other members of his church, to leave that country they found, and they moved from that country to another country to try to find hope for religious liberty. And while they were there, they endured Im immense persecution and difficulty and poverty. And from the ages of about 17 till about 30, he lived and found himself in poverty and difficulty, and yet always loving God, always loving Christ. At the age of 30, he married and his wife and other members of that church decided they needed to leave that country and come to another country. And so they all fled on a ship. That ship was difficult in terms of its journey. And along the way, half of the people on that ship died, including his own wife, his new bride. They landed on new ground. His name was William Bradford. He made a difference. He didn't know the difference he would make at the time. Young William, as he was known by many, had left England. 
He then had fled to Holland, and then Holland, he fled to America. He landed in Plymouth Bay on December 20th, 1620. There the ship was known as the Mayflower, and he was one of the original drafters of and signers of the Mayflower Compact, which is one of the most significant foundational framework pieces of uh, of document of American and civic history that we have today. William lived a generous life. He couldn't have anticipated what we would encounter today in our day when the, the right for religious freedom is so at stake. He could not imagine the difficulty with radical movements of religion that would come and try to, to crush the very heart and the very spirit of freedom that we have here in America. He would not imagine what we see today, and yet he was there made a difference for you and I. And the liberties that he established are liberties that we must also build on and hold dear to because really what's at stake here is not the lack of persecution. What's at stake here is the souls of men and women with with the spread of the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is incumbent upon us to do that. You know, as I've lived my life, I've kind of started to look and put together what is it that makes a difference? And who are the people? What are the characteristics of people that make a difference in our world? And I want to give you some of these today. Here's the first one. People who make a difference, they do something every day. Not just once in a while. Every day they're thinking, how can I make a difference? Yesterday we were down at Spectrum and we were, uh, the boys, our our grandkids had come and, and they're five and three and they had just left a pajama party, and, and they had a little suitcase, and we had car- It looked like a homeless thing. I mean, it, you know, we're walking through Spectrum, and here's a kid, and, you know, they're probably going to look at him. His hair looks like it's coming out of every angle. And, and, uh, and you know, so they wanted to ride the carousel. So Tammy's going to go over there and get him on the carousel, and I'm going to watch the stuff. So I'm sitting there watching the stuff, you know, the, my pile of stuff, and a guy comes along, and he's got a dog named Timber. It's about a 70-pound lab. You know, and he ties it up on the thing there. Next thing I know, Timber's on my lap. And I'm going, oh, yeah, great. He goes, yeah, the dog's name's Timber. I go, oh, yeah, great. You know, and so I'm standing there, and I'm trying to take pictures and petting Timber, you know. And people are coming, oh, uh, can I pet your dog? I said, yeah, go ahead, you know, and go ahead and enjoy the dog, you know. Does he bite? I said, I don't know. I said, how long have you had him? About four minutes. I mean, you know, you're kind of going through this whole thing about Timber, you know. And people come along and go, uh, oh, you know, oh, uh, can I, can I hug your dog, and will he bite? And, you know, and, I, and I'm just kind of, I'm going over and over and over, and I'm just having fun with people. People saying, you know, uh, well, w- how long have you had? You know, and they keep asking me the same questions over again, and I'm sitting there just answering them, smiling, and I realized I was making a difference in their life. All I was doing was helping them to enjoy a rental dog. <laughs> and I really realized, you know, that's the best kind of dog to have, right? It's just like... No, he's not my dog. If he bites you, yeah, that's the guy's on the carousel with his five-year-old. That's the guy. <laughs> the best dog. But it, I was making a difference. You know, sometimes you don't have to do a lot to make a difference in somebody's life. Sometimes it's just a smile. Sometimes it's a handshake. You know, it's like opening a door. You ever open the door for somebody and, and, uh, and you, just, you just feel better when you open the door for them? Now, I've got to admit, there's a human side of Phil that when they don't say thank you, you know, I kind of want to trip them, you know, a little bit like, yeah, where's the thank you? But, you know, really, you feel better when you do that. There's something about giving that makes us like God. When you give, you, you do feel that quality of God who gave everything for us. Have you ever, uh, have you ever walked by somebody and they're asking for money, they got the cardboard, you know, and, and you, you know that they don't need it. They got new Nikes on. 
You know, they forgot that part of the garb. And inside of you go, you know, I know you really don't need this money. You're probably making more money than me, and it's all tax-free. And so what you do is you don't give them a dollar. And as you're walking away, you're kind of feeling a little bit justified. I showed you I didn't give you a dollar. But then something creeps up in your heart you didn't expect. It's selfishness. And you kind of wonder, I wonder if I should have. Then you think about a dollar and how little a difference it really is going to make in your life. And maybe it won't make a big difference in his or her life either. But it's not about whether or not you need the money or don't need the money or he needs the money or doesn't need the money. It's about you and the act of giving. You need to do that. Because it's what makes us something more like God. That releasing makes us like God when we do that. I've also found that that people who make a difference, they build up people, they build up a cause, or they build up an organization. They look at people and they say, how can I build you up instead of how can I criticize you? How can I make that organization or that company or that, that church or whatever, that school or whatever, they say, how can I make that a better place for you? They're always looking, they're builders, and you know, building's tough stuff. Criticize easy. I was at a restaurant the other day, and there was a football game on, and there was like five guys who were all at least 100 pounds overweight. They were having the best time of their life. I mean, they were enjoying it. They're putting down fries and hamburgers. Nobody was counting calories. You know, it was awesome, you know. And they're watching, and every, you know, here goes the pass. The guy's going over to catch the pass. He misses it. And what is the one guy with the big hamburger in his hand? I could have caught that. And you're laughing, going, no, you couldn't. You couldn't run down the the field, dude. Are you kidding me? You could have caught that pass. But there's something about, oh, I see it from that angle. Look at what I can do. There's something inside of us that says, I can do that. There's something in us that doesn't know about building. What does it take to really build? Our first house was uh, the ugliest house on the block. It was painted a gray Poupon yellow. And I'm not kidding. And it was peeling and it was bad. And the the front porch, you know, it was all crumbly and breaking down. And I decided I'm going to tear it off and I'm going to put a brick one on there. Never laid a brick in my life. Went out and bought a book. This can't be hard. I've watched guys do this. Get a little, you know, cement and mix it up, you know, put it on there. You got it all ready to go, right? I don't know how long it took me. It took me like forever. I had to take the steps off. I had one that was high, one that was low. I mean, it was, it was a mess there for a little while, right? And I finally got it. It looked really good. All the steps were the same distance, and, and, and you know, it, it had to get a little bit taller than I thought it would, but, you know, it was good, right? So I got it done, and, and then I put the rail up, and I'm all proud. And, and the best part of a job like that is you get a lawn chair, and you set it out in the yard, and you look at it. You know why? Because you built something. Then your buddy comes over. So, you know, it's a little off. It got a mortar joint, you know, the angle over there. And I go, dude, I built it. What did you build? Right? Building is hard work, but when you build something, you get the satisfaction of the building. People who make a difference, they do that. I also believe that people who make a difference, they create a culture of honor. They really find ways to honor one another and love one another and respect one another. Not criticize, but honor one another and say, you know what, there's something you do that's really good. If you really just take a little bit of extra time, you can find something fantastic in everybody. Amen? You really can. You just kind of look at them and go, you know what, wow, you know what, look at that. You, you just look, always look so good. Wow, you know, you do that so well. Man, I'm just so encouraged. You're such a great encourager. You know what that does to a person? Makes them want to do the same to somebody else. Amen? So we want to create a culture of honor. Also, 
I've also noticed that people that make a difference, they're typically, they kind of go unnoticed and unseen. You know, I walk in here and there's like 20 Christmas trees in here, however many there are. You know, somebody put them up. Somebody put lights on them. Somebody put ornaments on them. Somebody made sure they were just right. You, you may not know who they are, and I may not know who did every one of them. But you know what they did? They did it for you. They wanted to make a difference in your life. You come in here and feel like a, a spirit of Christmas. It was unnoticed. Nobody was doing it to get noticed. If they would have, they would have put their little frame with their picture on the top of the tree. They didn't do it for that reason. They did it for you. They want you to have a good experience in life and in your church. People who make a difference typically underestimate their contribution they make. They'll simply say, well, yeah, you know, it was not a big deal. You know, I mean, I just put up a tree. Hey, when my wife says it's time to put up the tree, it's like I'm having a fit. You know what I'm talking about, guys? And, you know, my tree is like in five parts. I just stick one in, the next one, the light's already in there. I plug in it. It's ready to go. It's like Christmas in a box. And I whine about it. Oh, really? Is it time to put up the tree already? You know, and, and, then, uh, and you know, then we get it all up. And then I, you know what I do? Couldn't wait. Cruz and Crosby, they're coming in. And I go, hey, come see the tree. You know why? Because I built it. Their eyes get big. I made a difference in their life. Something a little something. Sorry, John, I didn't see you right there. John, raise your hand right here. I just talked about John, who, who's got the good report from the doctor. Did I say it right? Amen. Here's what I want, to, want you to talk to you about. I want to take you to the story of the, the woman that was identified in the Bible as a woman, the widow with the, with the mite, just a little bit of money she gave. One of the stories that's familiar and, and, and really important to me was when we first started the church on the first uh, kind of a meeting night we had, there was a, a little lady there, and, uh, and I told everybody, I said, we don't have a database, we don't have anything, so just watch Facebook. That night I got an email from her, she's almost 90 years old, I got an email from her, she said, Pastor, I joined the Facebook. I joined the Facebook. So I emailed all my friends and I said, hey, here's this woman's name. You've got to go ahead and, and, and ask her if, you can, if she can be your friend. And the next day I get an email. She goes, I have 50 friends on Facebook now, you know. And she's got one of those little scooters, you know, those little scooters that run around. And she, on the back of it, she's got an influence sticker. <laughs> but let me tell you what is really neat. She told me, she said, Pastor, I'm going to give $5 every week to this church the rest of my life. And if I have more, I'll give more. I'm going to tell you, that is the greatest gift because I know she's giving out of her poverty. She's giving out of her heart. See, we've got to get what's on the inside on the outside. You've got to get what's on the inside. You've got good stuff on the inside. You've got to get it out there where people can feel it and taste it and touch it and enjoy it. I mean, haven't you had love inside? So I don't know what to do with it. I got hope, and what do I do with it? Where do I unpack it? How do I give it to somebody? What do I, what do, I do? You got to get what's on the inside on the outside because if it's only, if, if, if you don't do that, it just stays there and you go, you know, I'm really a good person. Oh, yeah, prove it. <laughs> do something, amen? Show it. Make a difference in somebody's life. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 and 42. Jesus is in a very unusual situation. He has positioned himself to watch what people give and how much they give. How's that? Putting you on the spot. Let's look at it together. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury 
and he saw how people put money into the treasury. So he saw what and he saw how. He's still doing that today. He still does that. So I, you know, I, in my mind, I can let a, a, an offering basket go by and not put anything in it, and, you know, everybody thinks I gave online. Let's just be honest, right? Or you wad up a one and get it really, th- make it look thick and put it in there and go, yeah. Huh? But it's not about how you look. It's not about how you look. It's about who's watching. Who's watching? And it says, and many who were rich put in much. And then the one poor widow came and she threw in two mites, which makes up a quadrant, which is about $2. You see, the danger is when we get the outside, gets on the inside. That's the danger. When this world begins to influence you and gets on the inside of you and it corrupts you and it makes you selfish and it makes you stingy and it makes you mean and it makes you critical, when that outside stuff gets on the inside, that's when it really gets danger. Like forgiveness. You know, if we don't forgive others, we're only hurting ourselves and not them. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison poison and expecting somebody else to die. When you don't forgive someone, you're not hurting them. You're not punishing them. You're not torturing them. They don't care. But you're hurting you. I heard about a man who fell into a pit, and everyone had an opinion. Have you ever been in that situation? Pharisee came along and said, you deserve to be in the pit. Catholic came along and said, you need to suffer while you're in the pit. Baptist said, if you'd have been saved, you never would have fallen in the pit. Charismatic came along and said, just confess I'm not in the pit. (laughs) The mathematician came along and said, let me calculate how you fell in the pit. The IRS agent said, have you paid taxes on that pit? (laughs) The optimist said, things could be worse. The pessimist says, things will get worse. Everyone has an opinion. If you try to keep every person happy, the one person that will not be happy will be you. Have you ever noticed that? You work really hard to make somebody happy or make a group of people happy, and then they go, nobody likes you. What happened? And you don't even like you. Then you say, no wonder they don't like me. I don't like me. Because you've been trying to make everybody happy. What you have to do is just fall in love with God. Foster a deep relationship with Jesus. That's the beginning of all happiness, is it not? If I know that if I've got a good, strong relationship with him and I know he loves me, now I can face life. But apart from that, I'm going, well, I, they kind of like me, they don't like me, and oh, I'm, I'm doing well, I'm not doing well, or whatever. I love what T.G. Jake said. He said, agendas are endless, and enemies are everywhere, and the allies are often apathetic. Fan clubs and fight clubs meet on the same corner. The difference between a friend and a foe can be as subtle as the distinction between identical twins. That is to say, you scarcely can tell them apart. You see, we have to pay attention to what nourishes us. What nourishes you? How do you get close to God? For some of you, it's singing songs. Some of you, it's praying. Some of you, in the Word. Some of you, you know, being around other people who can encourage you. What is it nourishes you and says, you know, you need solitude. You need activity. You need service. You need to put your hands to something and do something. But we have to figure out what nourishes you because you are responsible to be close to Him. 
take it a little bit further. Inspire people and move past the cynics. You ever inspired people? I, a few weeks ago, I was down at the coffee shop, Bodie Coffee Leaf, and you know it's opening in January here, and we're, we're making progress on that, and I was down there, and I told a story a couple of weeks ago about walking in there. There was a guy working behind the counter, and he was down a little bit, down in the dumps, and I said, how you doing? He goes, all right, I guess. You know, how'd you like that to be your testimony? All right, I guess. You know, young guy, he's in his 20s, looked like he was alive, had a pulse. I said, hey, you look like you're, you look like you're alive, you look like you're doing pretty good. Yeah, 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 I'm alive. How do you like your job? Yeah, I like my job. Are they paying you? Get a check every two weeks or whatever? Yeah, yeah, they're paying me a check. I said, so you're alive, you're a young guy, and you're getting a paycheck. That sounds like pretty good stuff. And he goes, well, yeah, I, I guess it is. I guess it's better than I thought it was. Reached in my pocket, I gave him a card. It says, expect a miracle. It's one of our prayer wall cards. I gave it to him. I said, hey, take this, you know. You need to expect a miracle every day in your life. Last week I went back. He was working the counter when I showed up. I said, hey, how are you doing? He goes, that card changed my life. Are you kidding me? All I had to do was give a guy a card? Expect a miracle card? That's all I had to do. I didn't, he didn't ask me to wash his car. He didn't ask me for a donation. I just had to give him a card. that said, expect a miracle. And he said, it changed my life. Do you know my life got changed like that? When I was going out of classroom in my senior year in high school, a girl gave me a card that says, smile, God loves you. She didn't tell me how to get saved. She didn't tell me anything. I put it in my pocket. I kept it for years and years and years. I wish I still had it. It was one of the things that brought me to faith in Jesus Christ. And all it said was, smile, God loves you. What if you had, what if you started, what if you grabbed some of those cards, expect a miracle, and all you did was said, hey, my pastor told me I need to get rid of these. Seriously. If you want a bad delivery that'll work, go, my pastor told me to get rid of these, and I can't, I'm not going to feel good or without guilt until I get rid of at least five of them this week. Would you just take one and help me out? I had a friend that used to take gospel tracks. He went in the bathroom, public bathroom. He'd unroll the rolls of toilet paper and roll the tracks up inside the toilet paper. <laughs> you pull the roll, you know, and, you know, you know there, there's three books in the Bible, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. He said he called that 4 John. <laughs> hey, get creative, right? Make a difference in somebody's life. Do something, right? Okay, Mark chapter 12, verse 43 and 44. So he called his disciples to himself, and he said unto them, Assuredly, I say unto you, but I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they all put out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had her whole livelihood. Wow. He noticed. He noticed. We had Cruz and Crosby spend the night this uh, last night, and so I was up doing some studying, some praying last night, and Tammy had gone up there and bathed the boys and got them ready and got them ready for bed. And, uh, you know, I, I come in with my, my little flashlight on my phone, and I'm looking, trying to, I don't want to wake anybody up. I don't know where they are, right? I don't know what room they're in. And I look over, and my bed is full. There's my wife, and there's two boys spread out, you know, like they're doing the YMCA, you know, song. I mean, there's like, like I go, I ain't messing with this deal. But they had opened the windows. And it was cool last night, right? I mean, for California, it's cold. Would you all agree it was cold, right? Right? I mean, I'm like freezing. You know, I'm, I'm seeing people with Uggs and, you know, mufflers around their neck and hats on and all this stuff. And, and so uh, I'm going, go, man, it's cold. But then all of a sudden, I just got this breath of fresh air. It felt good. You know, it was crisp. 
just kind of felt good, right? You know, in L.A., we, we always say, you know, we don't trust any air we can't see. But I, but I went in there and I go, man, it just feels, it smells good. It was kind of fresh. I want to give you this thought. Bring a breath of fresh air to every situation. Always be asking yourself this question. How can I make this situation better, not worse? How can I bring that cool, crisp, fresh air into an environment so people feel good? Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. Listen to what it says. Today I've given you a choice between life and death. Between blessings and curses. Now this next one really got me. Listen to what it says. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. Think about that. He says, heaven is watching like on a witness stand to see the choice you're going to make. Are you going to make a choice of life? Are you going to make a choice of death? God says, I call on heaven. All of heaven, watch. Watch the choices people make. Are they speaking life? Are they speaking death? Oh, that you would choose life. And this next part really got me. So that you and your descendants might live. Hey, it's one thing if I choose right and I say, well, you know, you know, I don't care if I mess up my life. You know, I'm just going to choose death. That's one thing. But you know what it says? Your descendants. You mean to tell me the choices I make in terms of whether I speak life or death, they have a direct bearing on my children and my children's children. That's exactly what it says. And in the process, God is saying, I'm watching from heaven, and all of, and, and all of heaven is going to give witness to what you say. And you know what? It's, it's a lot easier to say something good than say something bad. Have you ever noticed that? But if you ever get on a bad conversation, you ever notice how that keeps going? You ever been to a restaurant and get on a bad food conversation? Oh, yeah, that's nothing. And then they get on some, you know, some surgery. And everybody's got a surgery. Scar. Oh, yeah, let me show you my scar. I mean, it's just like, no, no, change the course. Sometimes I have to stop. And sometimes I'm guilty of getting it started. Right? And i got to stop and say, wait a minute, let's change course. Do you all mind? Can we just change courses? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. They don't care. We don't care. Like one guy said, if you let people talk about themselves and they can go on for hours. We don't care. Just let's talk. We want to communicate. We want to be in community. We're made for community. So, all right, let's start talking about something good for a while. And all of a sudden, guess what? Everybody starts to change. Everything starts getting better, right? So that's what you've got to do. You've got to be an agent of that. I'm going to give you some things that are really super practical. I want you to write them down. If you don't write them down, you're at least going to have to go back and look, look at this sermon again. Because you're going to say, those are good. I think I can use those. Here's the first one. You have to learn how to manage the moment. Learn how to manage the moment. Don't learn how to manage life. Learn how to manage the moment. You try to manage life, it's too big. How do you manage the moment you're in right now and the moment you're going to be in tomorrow and the next day? How do you manage that moment? If you learn how to manage the moment, then all of a sudden the situations won't become so overwhelming. You won't be looking back to what didn't happen or looking forward to what should happen. You're going to say, I'm going to manage the moment. How do I enjoy the people I'm with right now? How do I enjoy my family? How do I love my husband? How do I love my wife? How do I love my kids? How do I treat people? Manage the moment you're in. Secondly, you've got to learn how to move and adapt. If you don't learn how to move and to adapt, you're going to be what the Bible calls, what the dictionary calls a target. That's what a target is. It doesn't move and it doesn't adapt. You just stand there, let's shoot another arrow at that target. 
Move and adapt. How do I move in a situation? I just read something in Forbes magazine. It said that they estimated with computers and robots in the next 20 years, one half of all white-collar jobs in America will be eliminated like that. Like that. You go, that's sad. You're not learning how to move and to adapt. You say, that's great. That gives me more time to do something else. There's new opportunities to be had. There's new things going on. I think I'm going to capture and seize that opportunity because you know what? We just got a whole new workforce that can come work for me. Amen? You've got to move and adapt. Next, you've got to learn how to create. Create. God made you a creature because he was a creator. And because you are a creature of the creator, you are to be creative. You don't need more time or more money. You just need to pull from what you have on the inside and start to create something. And that's what makes us unique. You ever seen a dog sit around how to make a better doghouse? A couple of dogs scratching their head going, you know, I don't know. I, I'm thinking maybe the door is too short. Got to get a little wider here, you know. No heat in this thing. Are you kidding me? They're relying on fur. It's cold out there. Dogs don't do that. You know why? Because they're not creative. That's not how they were designed. They were created with instinct, not creativity. There's a difference. You have creativity, rationality, you have a mind, you have all these things. You learn how to put those things in place, and guess what? You're going to go anywhere you want to go. Last, forge ahead without fear. Forge ahead without fear. Sometimes when you forge ahead, you are afraid. But forge ahead anyway. When I was in college, my friend said, let's go repelling. You know, that's, for those of you who don't know, you tie a rope on something and you, then you go down the hill, go down the rock. I said, well, you know, when you're young, you have no fear that you will admit. Got it? You have fear, you just don't admit it. I said, I'm in. My other roommate said, I'm in. And the guy says, okay, good, I'll borrow the equipment when we get there. And so, okay, so that's good. We'll get some equipment. We get out there. Jerry had done this once in his life. He was our expert. We're going to tie, there's no trees, we're going to tie off the back of the bumper of a little Datsun uh, pickup truck. Weighed about 2,000 pounds, right? I weigh about 200 and none of your business. And so we're going to tie off this rope. I'm going to go down this thing 300 feet straight down, never done it before. And when I get done, I will be an expert like Jerry. I can take now my own team because I've done it once. I didn't, you know what? I am so glad I did it and so glad I've never done it again. But you know what I did? I forged ahead with, in the middle of it. I didn't let fear stop me from forging ahead. There's some things that right now scare you a little bit because it's a big risk. It's called faith. There's some things you go, I don't know how it's going to turn out. You don't have to. If you love Jesus and fall in love with him, it'll take care of itself. Determine to be a giver. Determine to be a giver and not a hoarder in life. Determine you're going to be a giver. You're going to give yourself to the things that, of the kingdom. You're going to give yourself to your family. You're going to give yourself to your friends. Let me take you to another scripture. Psalm uh, 112 and verse 9, it says, They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. You mean when I go down to Target and I spend $15 on a toy for somebody I don't know, and I put it in that box that God's going to remember that forever, that's exactly what it says. 
good deed remembered forever. They will have influence and honor, it goes on to say. They will have influence and honor. You mean when I do something good like that and I give generously and I help somebody out that maybe will never say thank you to me, maybe I don't, I'll never see their face, that God says, I'm going to bless you with influence and honor. That's what it says. That's pretty cool. Isn't that pretty cool? Let me give you some life applications. Here's three of them. Enjoy the divine romance with God. Everybody loves romance, right? I'm over Spectrum the other day, holding my wife's hand. I go, this feels pretty good. Don't do this enough. Need to hold her hand more often. All right? Remember the first time you held a girl's hand, guys? You've got you to be kidding me. I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea anything like this could feel this good. It, I'm just holding her hand. I've held Billy's hand and Bobby's hand. It never felt like this. What's going on? What's going on? It's a divine romance. When you start holding the hand of Jesus, there's something goes on in your heart. Something starts to spin. Look at you two lovebirds, freshly engaged, <laughs> leaning back into Brother Jeff there, enjoying life. I don't mean to put you on the spot, right? Congratulations on getting married in March. Bring life to every situation. How do I bring life to that situation? Create a culture of honor. Create a culture. Create. You get to create honor in a culture. Wow, that's pretty cool. I ask uh, Pastor John to, uh, to lead us in this song called Empires. I want you to watch the words as you sing it. I want you to, I want you to just kind of take in the message of this song. I think it's very, very powerful, and I think it's very applicable for this. And then when this song's over, Pastor Nate's going to come up and close out the service. So let's stand together right now as we just listen to the words of this song, reflect on what God has spoken to us already about, and let God just minister to us.